Hello and welcome to Plotress. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing Take Me by Jen Tran. This was published on Valentine's Day 2021 and we did receive a complimentary copy of this book from the author. And this is the third in the Girlfriend series. We previously reviewed the second book in this series on the podcast, but not the first. And I, Meg, have read the first in the series, but Lane has not. Correct. So just just letting you know where we're coming from. Uh, So the summary. Tom Ong isn't exactly handsome or witty. Tall? Yes. Nerdy? Sure. Single? Yup. 13 years and counting, but he doesn't mind. As an avid boulderer, he's used to being on his own and unattached. His close colleague, Cassie Green, prefers sport climbing. She's petite, charming, and already taken. In other words, his exact opposite. Despite their differences, Cassie knows that Tom deserves love like anyone else. That's why after countless meetings and work trips together, Cassie vows to find him a partner. The thing is, he doesn't want a partner. He wants her. And while searching for his perfect match, Cassie begins to feel the same. Except that she's married. When her husband proposes a different arrangement, Cassie can't decide. Is this a disaster or a golden opportunity? The beginning of the end or the start of something wonderful? To find the answer, all three will have to determine what happily ever after means to them. I think it is really funny that um, she says, his, so he likes bouldering. She she likes sport climbing. Um, she's his exact opposite. I'm like, well, actually, no, they both really like rock climbing, whether one likes sport <laughs> climbing or bouldering. That's not like an opposite thing, you know? <laughs> it's like saying, I like running marathons and you write like running 5Ks. We're the exact opposite. No, we're both still runners, you know? <laughs> but... Honestly, I don't I don't have that big of a problem with it. They they what I think she's trying to go for is that they are very different, which I do agree with. <laughs> Especially professionally because they are obviously also co-workers. Yes, indeed. Is, um and this book is about her figuring out what it is to have a husband and a crush on a co-worker. So, I think the summary captures that. So my yeah. only real problem with it is the assertion that five five is petite. <laughs> no, I think this I think this book jacket is a good one. Honestly, I think it's a good jacket. I just think you read this and you think she's like four <laughs> eleven, which she's not. I you know I'm not. We talked about this in the second book too. Um, we are not rock climbers. We really no. don't know anything about it. So maybe being five five is a handicap, like a major handicap when you're rock climbing. That's a fair point. Yeah. Especially compared to tall. How tall is he? Six three, something like that? Uh no, he's six one and she adds two inches to his dating profile. Cause that's what you do, yeah. Because that's what you do, and she calls him six three. This jacket is really good. Yes. As usual, we generated a random number, and then we wrote summaries based on that number. And for this episode, the number is 30. Um, I don't know, Lane, do you want to start it off? Sure. What if your real husband was like, yes, you should fuck your work husband? 
Jen Trin is good at writing, but I struggle with work flings, failing marriages, and baby obsession. So that's, I mean, I, I think that you really got less into a summary and more into a, these are my issues with the book. <laughs> I struggle, like, here's the thing. Was this objectively a well-crafted book? Yes. I don't really like drugs. I don't really love, like, babies or, like, feeling motherhood yearnings. Like, this, just so much of this was, I, I think I said to Meg, I read it, like, through my hands, really embarrassed. <laughs> they, they talk about pooping in bags. Like, I just can't emotionally handle it. But I was so impressed with how deftly Gentrin handled issues in a non-judgmental way. Yes. And Absolutely. like, so the, the book ends up touching on polyamory pretty extensively. And we'll talk about this, but I felt like she neither put it on a pedestal nor criticized it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a very, like a, a real skill because it would have been very easy to fall on either side of that line. Yeah. Well, so what was your summary? Here's mine. It touches on very similar issues. Well, one similar issue. If your husband gave you a free pass, would you have someone in mind? Cassie knows exactly who she'd choose. But what will she do when the chance comes along? That's pretty good. Thanks. Thanks, Lane. Well, because I think the concept of a free pass is pretty prevalent in society, even if polymory isn't. Not like free passes you actually take, but the concept of who your celebrity free pass would be. Oh, I've talked to several people about what their free pass would be. Yeah. You know, like there's a a woman at work. You remember um, this woman at work. Everyone knew her free pass was Jeremy Lin. Obviously. Right. But the, like like the whole office knew, you know, that's what I'm saying. And like, this isn't like a, <laughs> it's not something that people feel like they keep to themselves either. No, it's, 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 but the part of the reason I think it is so prevalent is because most of the time it's such a fantasy. Right. Like what if you met Jeremy Lin? And so what this book does and like, it's sort of, this book asks, what if the person you wanted a free pass with, was that person you know who would definitely be down. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that's, I don't think Polly Mori was ever right for the marriage in question in this book. Right. I don't think Gentrin discounts that it could be right for someone. It's definitely not right for me, and I found a lot of it very difficult. I because it was say, so obviously a bad choice for these two people. <laughs> I will say that like when, every... when you're approaching Polly Moore from the perspective of a free pass, bad. Yes. Yes. That's a great point. That's actually a really good point is the whole idea that of the free pass, the free pass isn't really a thing. It's not a free pass because it doesn't exist really. Mm-hmm. Right. You only talk about it because it's not real. Right. Yeah. I love I And even if point. it did, which it doesn't, but if it did, even then what you're talking about is like a bar story. Is one time my husband met Halle Berry, she immediately wanted to jump his bones. They had sex in an airplane bathroom and then they never saw each other again. Like, I'm still not saying that's okay, but I'm saying like, even in the fantasy, the fallout isn't real feelings and real impact on our marriage it's this joke that this person is so hot if you got the chance you better go for it and then tell me everything right 
It's well, not the, like, the, what if the, there was a third person in our marriage? Well, the other thing about the free pass too is that it presupposes that that person that you want to fuck is going to want to fuck you too, which also ain't going to happen. Right. Like, no, this random celebrity is not on a commercial flight. Like, yeah, I'll have sex with you in the bathroom. And I don't know that's why my brain thinks the free pass and the My Life Club are associated, but don't worry about it. <laughs> it's in a bar. It's in an airplane. I don't know what's going on with you, Lane. but <laughs> It's just, it's not a relationship. Yes, exactly. So this book supposes, one, that free passes are real, two, that there's someone who would definitely be interested in you, and three, you're talking about a relationship, not just a fling. Yeah. And like I said, I think this book does a good job of saying, like, that's the wrong way to come at polymory. Full disclosure, I know nothing about polymory, and I'm not particularly interested, except for there's a yoga teacher I follow on Instagram who's very open about her polyamorous triad, and that is the full extent of my knowledge of polymory coming into this conversation. But I do think it did a good job of saying, like, "Mm, it really shouldn't be a we want to cheat on each other starting point. Right. Um, Okay, so we usually go over the tropes. We will do that here. What I will say, though, is that this is not a very tropey romance. No. So, like, you can say, yeah, this is a coworkers to lovers or friends to lovers, which it is but also it's not right they have their relationship is obviously not allowed both because she is married and because they are co-workers at the same small company Mm -hmm. so there's the element of forbidden love yeah um he's really defined by the one relationship he had in his past where his ex cheated on him and that sort of shaped how he views women You could call this a love triangle. You, you could, except the love triangle always presupposes that you, you, you are supposed to choose one or the other, right? Right. Um, there, is, there is the part where everyone heard you have sex. Which is fun. And they, they have the date where they have fake identities and really lean into their roles. Yeah. And we've seen this in historical romances, too. Maybe not necessarily a date, but, like, a mission where they get to put on other identities for a night and that like that's definitely but those are tropey moments right like it's not a tropey theme yes you can't uh, you can't say oh this is an enemies to lovers or oh this is a friends to lovers romance you just can't say that because it's it, it's more than that it's more than the workplace trope. romance kind ish, of but Honestly, the polyamory throws such a huge wrench in that. Yeah. All right. So let's get into it. So as as we mentioned at the beginning, I have read all of the books in the series, but Lane hasn't. So I I don't think Lane missed much in this book, except that in the first book, a major part of the book actually takes place at Cassie and Michael's wedding. And that's made very clear in this book. Right. So you don't. This book is a great reunion special. Yes, yes, yes. It is a reunion special. I I did think for me, I think it added a little element of oh damn because it really felt like just yesterday that these two people, two these two crazy kids were getting married, you know, (laughs) and now (laughs) two years in, there are trouble. There's trouble in paradise, you know. 
Yeah. And I thought it was interesting. The point that was made was by the husband at some point is that they, they've been together since they were 22. Mm-hmm. I think this book is really interesting. It's really well written and it has sparked a lot of discussion for me, not just with Lane here on the podcast, but also with other friends who've read it, with my husband. My husband and I had a long conversation about the book and, and um, things that it brought up for me. Uh, but for me, I think the hardest part about the book uh, actually wasn't the polyamory and it wasn't that she and Tom were getting together. It was the relationship with Michael and I, I wanted it to be more fleshed out to know why she was so invested in keeping it because I, I totally get that Trin could not have a Michael who was like super sympathetic because then you would not be rooting for Tom. Right. right? So I get that. But at, at the same time I was like, okay, Cassie says I'm in love with him. She's like, keeps saying how she's in love with him. She wants to have kids with him right away. And she wants to have kids right away. Yeah. She wants to have kids right away. She wants to have like five kids or something. And I, the, feeling I was getting from Cassie was less I love Michael and more I have invested so much in this relationship I don't want it to end Mm -hmm. which I think is a legitimate feeling and I think I have I know people who feel that way so I I wouldn't necessarily have an issue with her if that's how she had presented it but that's not how she was presenting it it was she was saying I'm so in love with Michael we're so compatible we're so this and that Whereas I wasn't seeing a lot of that in the text. Yeah. And I, Oh yeah. The, the other thing that got me about Michael is that he basically married her under false pretenses. So he, he says the only reason I told you I wanted to have kids was so that we wouldn't break up. Basically said, she was like, you told me you would want to have kids. I told you before we got married, I wanted to have kids in the next two years. And he said, I said it because I thought I probably would, but I wasn't sure. And I was afraid that if I said okay. I wasn't sure, I would lose you. Okay, fair, fair, fair. Never mind. I agree. And that really, that really bothered me. Um, because you know what? Like that, now it's two years later and you are losing her because you lied to her, you know? Mm-hmm. So that that was a big thing for me when I read it, possibly because I do have a lot of parallels in my own life. (laughs) Not that my husband ever lied to me or anything like that, but we were married very young. I think before either of us thought anything about kids, like neither of us really had strong feelings, I think, about kids at all. And then we did have lots of talking about we talked a lot about it. Um, So I think that was it just it struck me as something that she tried to have a talk with him about before they got married. Um, and he didn't, he either didn't take it seriously or just was living in the moment. I don't know. So that, that probably was so, the thing that bugged me most about Michael. You didn't get high on Molly and roll around on the floor. I did not. <laughs> I did oh, not. Weird. Do that. <laughs> weird. So, Elaine, 
I told I told Jen Trin this. I told her that I never feel more conventional about my life choices than when I read one of her books. Same. I want everyone to know that this is not, you know, this is a, uh, this is not, I'm not, it's not an insult. You We're know? not judging any of our listeners who have done Molly. Yeah. No, it's, it's just, we're like, we read this and we're like, oh, I guess we really don't have anything, you know? I just, I'm interested in one-on-one relationships and one-on-one sex with a man, not high. And I just feel very boring. I know. I'm like, dang, I'm just a boring old married lady with kids now. God. <laughs> oh. Um, okay. So Tom's an interesting character. I think he's a pretty yeah. stereotypical tech bro. He's a from stereotypical the tech bro, socially awkward. Ill-fitting clothes. Yes. But who has, oh my God, this is a Jane Ann Krentz book. This is a Jane Ann Krentz, like the original tech bro. They She wrote about him, about how if you take out the pocket protector, then you're like, wow, he's like hot. His body is like ripped. That's Tom. Yeah, Tom, there's a convenient hot tub scene where everybody sees him unclothed for the first time and all of the women are like, excuse me, what? I mean, I cannot say that I hated that scene, Lane. I actually, like, kind of loved it. I kind of loved it. I, like, I don't, do we just not know anything about startup culture? Possibly. This is possibly a thing. We are not, we are not, we are so far away from the startup culture, guys. I just, to get as hammered in front of, like, coworkers, to be in a bathing suit in front of coworkers, especially, like, coworkers who I'm into Mm. and who are into me, like, I don't know, there's a degree of intimacy that some of the people in that top hot tub were meeting for the first time. Yeah. Like, I just don't, I have gotten sloppy drunk with coworkers. I have known them for a while before right. that happened. And it was not in a professional setting. Right. Right. This is like the retreat. Right. I can't, and of course our retreats, <laughs> I have never been on a retreat. <laughs> this was this amazing, guys. I've never been on a retreat where I slept away. Okay. We come from the professional world that does not pay to send its employees to a hotel for a retreat. That's all I will say. So in a previous life, in a previous career, I did the conference show circuit. I did not retreats, but I was put up in hotels. I was in cities with clients and doing the whole whining and dining and schmoozing. I would be out with my CEO who would buy bottles of wine that were individually hundreds of dollars. And I'd have one and a half glasses. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't matter to me how comfortable I am. Like, if I'm working, if I'm on, there are boundaries. And I'm, other people don't have my same boundaries. Other people had more glasses of wine than me that night. But I guess my point is just this culture of we're meeting each other for the first time and we're getting drunk in a hot tub. Yeah. Like, in in this professional retreat is so far from any reality I've ever lived. Yeah. It's, it's, I didn't even, I haven't even 
had the opportunity to get drunk in front of clients, you know, <laughs> that's, I think the difference. <laughs> right. You haven't had the opportunity. I have. And I went, nah, thanks, bro. Yeah. No, but that's, that's part of what I actually kind of love about reading these books is that it mm-hmm. totally takes me out of my comfort zone. And I'm like, I did not know this existed. Like, like I've worked in an office where there was beer in the fridge. Okay. And I still didn't, would not have done any of this. Yeah. But I'm not saying it's not, doesn't happen. Like I know, especially the tech industry and startup culture, like it's very young. It's very casual in terms of like level of professionalism. Mm -hmm. It is very like event oriented. And so I'm, I'm like, I'm not saying I don't think this happens, but like when I say I was sort of uncomfortable reading this book, I don't just mean about the polyamory and the drugs. Right. I also mean like the way they interacted with coworkers. I was like mortified at the thought of being in that situation. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's very fascinating to me. I, I will say they work at this company called dump stash, which I hate the name of. I think it's like this horrible name. On the other hand, I think it sounds like such an authentic name that I was like, I, you know, this is, this is the name of a pretentious startup <laughs> where these people I love work. it. Even Jen Trins like mentions in passing the name of the restaurant they're in. And it's always some like punny, kitschy title that you know is a millennial startup restaurant. Like mm-hmm. it's just so funny. Like the clear culture she imbues into her world. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I think it's just, it, it, and so Lane and I, as you know, prefer historical romances, but I think that's our big thing. But I think that part of the reason I can get so into trends novels is that they are as unfamiliar to me as a historical romance is in a different way. <laughs> Honestly. Yep. So uh, it's, I'm reading, as Lane said, it's like a totally different culture. So it's very, very interesting. But so Tom, Tom, great guy, really uncomfortable, cheated on, sort of over dating, kind of the hidden gem of guys. I will say he doesn't try at all in a way I found frustrating. He has a bowl cut at the beginning of this novel. Mm -hmm. he's wearing clothes that actively don't fit. Mm -hmm. I get that Cassie sees through that, but I also wish there'd been some self-reflection from him, Mm -hmm. especially as he's being made the VP of a company. And you, you know, we love clothes porn. Like we talk about that a lot. But I would have loved if there was a little sense that not only had he grown in his relationship with Cassie and like figuring out what he wanted in a partner and grown in his career, figuring out what branches he'd wanted. But I wish he'd he'd looked inward a little bit. Mm -hmm. I wish his personal transformation hadn't just been acquiring a pet. But had been like he's cares about how he presents himself professionally and personally. Like he's recognizing that, you know, this living in this material culture, especially the world of San Francisco, that like making a good impression professionally and with women matters. Like 
I'm a, and maybe this is a little I am burnt out on online dating and going out with these guys who can't like tuck in their own damn shirt. Right. But there's a degree of like, okay, I'm an adult. And if you show up not looking like an adult, like an overgrown fat prep boy whose mom still does his laundry, like that's a turnoff because it like signals to me that you don't care. Right. I thought, I thought Tom was a very interesting character. He's definitely a pining hero. So he loves Cassie and he knows that he'll never get her, but he, he tries to go on dates now and then, but just no one can compare to her. So, you know, it's very Michael Sterling, right? <laughs> yeah, but he's only known her for three years and he's been single for 13. This is true. This is true. Um, but, but I, I, so anyway, I, I liked that he was socially awkward. I liked that he was, he knew what he wanted um, and was willing to go after it. I liked that he was presented also as being very competent at his job, not mm-hmm. just at like the programming side of things, but yeah. he seemed pretty good at like personnel management as well, which maybe clashed slightly with the idea of him being socially awkward. And lacking the ability to say the right thing in the right circumstance. Right. Specifically, like he seems to you were told often he makes people uncomfortable. Right. But I, I've been thinking, so he makes people uncomfortable, but at the same time, he, he's not inappropriate, which I think is, which I think might be like the dividing line. Cause I think that, I think you can be professional and absolutely blunt and completely honest telling them being a mentor that way you know what do they call like radical candor right Mm -hmm. like sometimes it's better for him to be like look you he says this to someone he's like he starts talking smack about someone and and he just cuts him off and he's like you can't do that that's unprofessional don't do that you know (laughs) i'm thinking more like the scene in the hot tub with the co-workers where he cracks a joke about where he's gonna hide their body right and these are his people he's humor. meeting for the first time. Yes, his humor yeah. is a little bit um, dry. Which is fine, but I, I struggle to I, I struggle to figure out how the guy whose sense of humor makes people so uncomfortable and can't sense that and has to be told it. Like there was an implication several times, I think actually, that he might have been on the spectrum. Right. Like he said to Cassie, in both professional and bedroom environments. I need you to be really clear about what you want. I'm not good at interpreting signals. And I think we saw that in a lot of his interpersonal commentary. And then in these individual professional scenes, he was hyper competent, not just at his job, but in speaking to employees. And I include the radical candor he had with the guy who was right. about to badmouth a coworker. Like, I, I really, I don't quite understand how the guy who couldn't pick up social signals and couldn't pick up when he was making people uncomfortable was simultaneously like this excellent leader who was great at picking up signals only in a professional setting and I'm thinking specifically of a scene where Cassie is sort of fumbling for the right words to say to a client and she looks at Michael and he not Michael Tom and he immediately picks it up and immediately Mm -hmm. starts like picking up her train of thought filling with the client and stopping in the perfect moment for her to pick up and continue right like that empathetic sense he only had when it was professionally convenient yeah 
I don't know. I mean, there are definitely people who are very good at their jobs and not so good at personal relationships. So mm-hmm. I think I could give it a pass. Sure. But um, but yeah, I I, lo- I thought he was really interesting, and I thought that that because there's always there has to be a conflict that keeps them from being together. And in this book, it's not not just the fact that she's married to someone else. <laughs> they they actually, you know, that's have not enough that. of an obstacle here. No. It's not, not enough of an obstacle. So uh, even their argument slash breakup slash, I'm not sure what you want to call it, final final conflict, boss battle, whatever. Yeah, boss I, battle. That's what it's yeah, called. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's what we can call it. The final yeah. boss. He, 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 um, what I liked about him was that he really, he did ask for what he wanted. What I liked about it was that it came down to both of them asking for what they wanted. So he asked for mm-hmm. what he wanted. She asked for what she wanted. It ended up not being compatible. And that was that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I Did I love the fact that there was a third act breakup? No. But if there had to be one, I appreciated the way it went down, honestly. I think that's what I struggle with, like, I think these characters felt very believable. Mm. They were both lying to themselves on every page. Right. It was really frustrating and embarrassing for me as someone who like can't stand to watch people continuously embarrass themselves. Right. But it's, it's so, it, it happens so much that that's the thing too, is you, these characters are extremely authentic people. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah. And I think it's interesting, and you pointed this out in an earlier conversation, but to a degree, all of the characters in this series have been very myopic. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was a really salient point. Yeah, I I have been feeling that these are, I've, I said at the beginning of this review, or, that this is a really millennial romance in some ways. And by that, I mean that all of the characters are really focused on like self-actualization. Um, what do I want? What do I want out of my life? Um, and instead of saying, for example, like I am a career oriented woman, I want to, I am ambitious. I want to get a PhD, get on the tenure track, publish these papers and do this. Instead, this is in the second book. The character says, you know what? I got my PhD, but it turns out that it's not fulfilling me personally. I'm going to leave it behind, Mm -hmm. which I think as a personal decision is fine. On the other hand, when you're reading a book and there aren't that many books out there about women who get their PhDs, it's hard for, I think, Lane and I to read that and not see it as a wider decision. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's similar here. You know, the reason Cassie, so Cassie really wants a promotion. The reason she really wants a promotion is not because she's specifically ambitious for herself, but because she wants to make more money so that then they can have a baby. Because her husband has set this arbitrary amount of money at which point he thinks they could afford a child. Right. And she agrees with it. She goes along with it. So she's like, okay, once I get this promotion, then we'll have the money for me to have a baby. Uh, and when it turns out that 
you know, that's not the way for her to get a baby. She's totally ready to just leave it all behind, you know? And even toward the end, her realization is she basically cares about her job, but not for the reasons she thought. And her first priority is a job that has the flexibility that enables her to have a family. Right. And again, that's, that is a perfectly acceptable decision for someone to make, you know, <laughs> this is, this is a decision that I know people in my office have made. They're like, I'm not going to leave this office because I have really great flexibility here. Um, but what's tough is when you read a book, it, it, again, it's hard for us not to read a more, a wider interpretation on that instead of an mm -hmm. individual decision because there are so few books out there about it. Well, and I don't feel like someone really being fulfilled by their job in a very traditional way was ever celebrated in this book. Yeah. Like I know Ian loves his food truck and Asher loves his music. And Lena loves her editing and writing. That's not the job she was doing during the book. Correct. So I, I just feel like the idea of somebody actually putting career first was poo-pooed, if anything. Um, and I think that's really evident in this book with um, Tom's roommate, mm. who very clearly gives up a professional and personal life that means a lot to him for a partner who also didn't put him first. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of celebrated offhand in the text. and. I think that doesn't feel very authentically millennial or maybe it just doesn't feel very authentically my life. Right. I feel like I have a lot of friends who have picked career opportunities over romantic ones. I have plenty who have picked romantic ones over career ones, but, and I get that this is a romance novel, but I do wish in some ways there'd been more compromise yeah. between professional and professional and, and pro professional and personal. Yeah. We're professional and romantic rather than this complete eschewing of traditional success. Yeah. But, you know, I think this is like a very specific and maybe <laughs> particular personal criticism from us. Yeah. Um, and maybe we're like too focused on capitalist success too, you know, like, I don't know. I'm willing to accept that. <laughs> maybe, but I think especially in the case of, um, I was about to say Chloe. Nope. Especially in the case of Cassie in this book, she's really interested in like the do-gooder aspects of her job. Yes. And do-gooder jobs are great to a degree. We're both in them, mm -hmm. but they do take prioritization and, and they like can still be an ambition, even if that ambition is to be as good at your job as you can be. Yeah. And I don't necessarily feel like that even came through as an objective. Right. Yeah. But the one thing I will say about this book is that it sparks so much discussion. It honestly we haven't even gotten to offensiveness or sexiness, but I'm just going to get to the end. Like you should read this book. It's, yeah. I'm, it's interesting. It's well-written, super interesting. Makes you think about your life and your choices, you know? And like, what if I did Molly? Would I learn about myself? You, you know what? You might lane. I'm not going to do drugs. 
don't do drugs. <laughs> oh, trigger warning. There is drug use in this book. <laughs> uh, did anything otherwise offend you? I mean, I think this handles a lot of tough topics pretty well. I wouldn't say there's anything I'm going to put out there as a trigger warning or a content warning. No, I mean, they're, they're obviously they're, they're in this, there is an open relationship. Um, I honestly think for me, and I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say also for you, Lane, part of our part, my biggest issue with the relationship wasn't the fact that she was married to someone else because they were very clear about what was going on, that it wasn't infidelity, it wasn't cheating, but rather it was that he, she was reporting to him. And so that this was a major workplace <laughs> violation. I mean, talk about putting career second. Right. Like your career is being put after the piece of ass you are hooking up with as your side piece. Yep. Yeah. But this is, it's, that was, I think, our biggest issue with the relationship, with the forbidden love aspect of the relationship. And look, we get it. We're not into dark romance. We're not reading about like incestuous uncles or anything, you know, like this is not what we're reading. <laughs> but still, we were like, okay, that's against the HR manual. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, I'm not kidding here. <laughs> no, that was, it was a little bit of a, really? You want me to respect you as an adult and your thought is like, I'm just, whatever, we can have sex and not tell anyone, even though our bosses have seen us. Well, one, yeah, yeah. One boss, one HR person. Yeah, the yeah. HR person. It's like a 15-person company. It's a small company, yeah. And all their coworkers comment on it. They're like, it hasn't affected us professionally. I'm sorry, but if all of your coworkers are gossiping about your relationship, even if you're still outputting quality work, yes, it has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the sex that they were having, was it hot? Yeah, so here's the thing. <laughs> her, and I thought this was pretty authentic, her whole, my life is out of control, I've sort of agreed to a lot of things I'm not quite sure how I feel about, I'm questioning pretty much everything about myself, professionally, personally, romantically. So um, during the sex, I would like to not think or make any decisions. Mm -hmm. Not a thing I knew I'd be really into, but it was really hot. It was really hot. Yep. I I thought it was very hot. Um, they do get into some role play. It's not like a, a super explicit scene, but I thought it was actually very sexy and funny at the same time. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. Even though they are dressing up in these ridiculous outfits so that they can go out to dinner and not be seen by their coworkers. And of course, then they get seated at a table right next to one of their bosses. Mm -hmm. um, I still thought it was like very playful and sexy and fun. Yeah. I have, I have one critique in that scene. So yeah. She's wearing a wig and it's red and she's like having a sex fantasy where she's like, oh my God, what if he like takes me by the hair? <laughs> I'm all for someone fantasizing, fantasizing like, yeah, like get into my hair, pull my hair, whatever. If he pulled her red hair, it would come off. Not gonna work. Like yeah. I actually had that. I was like, you don't want him to do that. Your hair is gonna look ratchet under this wig. <laughs> but I, but I thought it was. I don't know. I thought it was very, um, very sexy. Uh, Lane, how do you feel about tent sex? So, um, here's my problems with tent sex. How long had it been since they showered? How long had it been since they used toilet paper? 
other people could hear them. And she was married to someone else. And many of the people who could hear them were not aware she was in an open marriage. So she just invited everyone who overheard it to pry into her personal life. All that said, Lane, I thought it was so hot. <laughs> Babe, that's it. I, that's all I, <laughs> I preferred the um, bedroom sex. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. She then gets home and she's immediately like to her husband, oh, my God, I should shower before we have sex. Meanwhile, yeah. like she had had sex with Michael like minutes before and actually thinks I'm still really sore from the sex I had with someone else last night. Um, but I thought it was weird, this like commentary that she wanted to shower with her husband and not with Michael, like (laughs) not her husband and not with Tom. Like it was some commentary on her being her real self. And it's like needing to shower is not a commentary on anything other than personal hygiene. It was a rock climber thing, Lane. They also poop in bags, Meg. Sometimes. Yeah. Not all the time. Mm -hmm. Not in the, not in this one that they did. They, there was no pooping in bags. During the the sexy tent climbing. I was very upset. For listeners who don't know, I can't use public bathrooms because I think they're too disgusting. <laughs> well, the, like, uh, this one would be even cleaner than a public bathroom lane. You're the only person with that with that plastic bag. <laughs> I'm developing a twitch. <laughs> okay, okay, I won't. Tease you. I actually was kind of upset about the number of fart jokes, too. <laughs> I just don't find bathroom humor funny. I know. I but I know, so I'm a, for you. I know I'm a stick in the mud about this stuff, so I'm not letting it reflect in my review. But I did find some of these things very jarring. Yeah. But uh, look, guys, I think you should read this book because it's extremely unique and it's well written and regardless of how you feel about their behaviors and choices I think the characters are very authentic and interesting and you will want to talk to somebody about this book when you are done I completely agree thank you so much for listening check us out on the internet at goodreads or instagram at plot trists